Hi, I'm Josh Hammer. And I'm Batya Unger-Sargon. This is another episode of Newsweek's The Debate Podcast. So this week we're discussing higher education in college. Is it worth it or is it not worth it? So uh, Badi, I think this is a debate you've been excited about. Who are we going to hear from? Yeah, I'm super excited about this one. So this is another partnership with Paragraph, and we're super excited to be partnering with them again. Um, So we're drawing this from a debate that actually Paragraph hosted between Jennifer Frey and Michael Roth about whether college is worth it. Now, if you go to Paragraph and you read their debate, you'll see that they actually were debating what college is for more than whether it's worth it. So we're definitely going to push them on that. We're going to hear their thoughts on both of those things. And we are so excited for this one. Yeah. And please do check out Paragraph.com, by the way, if you've never been there. It's a a truly fantastic website. Um, I, I I personally done two debates there. Jonathan Stern, the guy who runs it, is, is a young entrepreneurial thinker. And uh, please do go check them out. We're thrilled to, to have this podcast with them. But uh, we'll be right back with Michael and Jennifer. But before then, just a quick plug for our sponsor, Herzog Wine Cellars. You can find them at HerzogWine.com. They generously sponsor Newsweek's The Debate podcast here. And go to HerzogWine.com and explore and start your own wine adventure today. But on the other side, Michael Roth and Jennifer Frey. We'll be right back. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to another episode of Newsweek's The Debate Podcast. This week, we are again thrilled to partner with our dear friends at Paragraph, and we are debating whether college nowadays is actually worth it. So, uh, Badia, who are we about to hear from? We are so excited with today's guests. We're thrilled to have Jennifer Frey, an associate professor in the philosophy department at the University of South Carolina, and Michael Roth, the president of Wesleyan University. Jen, Michael, welcome to the debate. Thanks for having me. Very glad to be here. So let's start by having you each just lay out your position. Is college worth it? Let's start with you, Jen. Well, I think I didn't so much lay out a position as I tried to reframe the question. I felt pretty overwhelmed by this very general question. So I tried to narrow it down to something more specific. You know, the general question was, is college worth it? But as I was reflecting on that question, I just found myself asking again and again, you know, worth it to whom? Because higher ed is a very unequal landscape. And at elite institutions in particular, I think we need to be self-aware that we're talking about um, institutional contexts that reproduce, you know, an unfairly privileged elite. And that there's also a sort of a very big gap between the high-minded self-conception of these institutions and its actual practices and policies. And so I was like kind of trying to draw out some of that, you know, so... Are we talking about whether or not it's worth it to adjunct faculty who are are basically at most institutions exploited labor? Um, Are we talking about whether or not it's worth it to students who come in from working class backgrounds? 
who find themselves very alienated in a lot of different respects from their peers. And so I try to talk about that. Uh, I ask about parents, you know, who are largely footing the increasingly astronomical and extreme tuition bills. Is it worth it to them? Let's think about, you know, so, so, so really I was trying to ask this question, like, worth it to whom? And I also wanted to bring up the student debt crisis because I just don't think we can talk about this question of whether or not college is worth it without considering that we've saddled, you know, at least two generations now with crippling debt for most of their adult life. And of course, my husband and I are, are included in that. You know, we were for most of our careers, academics who were still trying to figure out how to pay off their own student loans. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to narrow it down. And then I ended up by saying, well, look, we can't really answer this question, whether or not college is worth it, without asking worth it to whom, but then also asking, like, what is college for, right? Because if college really is just for job training, I think the question about whether or not it's worth it becomes even more, uh, even more of a vexed question, because... If a university of education really becomes a kind of trade school, the question about why does it have to take four years and why does it have to cost so much just to get a job uh, becomes a, you know, an ever more pressing question than if we sort of stick to the old ways and actually think about what higher learning is. Uh, and what it would take to cultivate that. So that was basically where I started. Obviously, I only had 500 words, so. <laughs> Great. Michael, yeah. is college worth it? Well, like Jennifer, I, I, I think it's best to ask um, a less general question, for whom uh, and in what context. Uh, and uh, I, I think it is worth encouraging as many people as possible to get a good college education. I do believe that. Um, uh, and, I, and I don't disagree with Jennifer that um, the uh, people participate in higher education in different ways and get some get very little out of it and wind up, as she rightly points out, saddled with debt. Um, like Jennifer, um, I had a student loan um, uh, and uh, I didn't pay it off until I was uh, um, uh, a faculty member making you know unbelievably little bit of money in those days it seemed um, although on the other hand I felt like I couldn't believe I was getting paid to do something I love to do so much and I don't know how Jennifer feels but I, I feel like that was a it was that loan was worth it actually because it allowed me um, to uh, get a PhD um, uh, and uh, um, and to pursue the things I think are really important and beautiful and, and, and satisfying to share with other people. Unfortunately, many people, and here I think Jennifer and I agree, um, many people experience college in quite a different way and, and they are um, saddled with debt and don't have preparation for a job and don't get to discover things that they think give meaning to their lives or, or um, uh, allow them to engage in purposeful work. And, 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 they, of course, suffer from a college uh, industry that um, uh, can be quite exploitative to many, to many people. I, I do want to say, though, that a, a lot of the, the, the student debt crisis is driven 
by um, a for-profit uh, college industry that has um, used the guarantee of uh, federally insured student loans to just be predatory lenders. They're not really educational institutions and by public institutions that um, have reduced the public support for higher education in many states so that students are paying more. In fact, at, at, at elite schools, uh, which have their own problems to be sure, um, the actual cost that people, pe that what, what people are paying has not outstripped in inflation. The price tag is wildly outstripped inflation because rich people should pay a lot for college, I believe. Um, it's one of the only ways we redistribute wealth. Uh, rich people should pay a ton for college. And at the elite schools, uh, low-income students pay nothing. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, and it's even better when you don't ask people to pay and you don't uh, ask them to borrow. Because uh, for people who are just starting out uh, uh, with little prospect for earning lots of money, debt is an awful thing. So I'm thrilled to see that we're starting off with both of you acknowledging these sort of huge inequities in the college system and these questions about who benefits from them. Although I have to force you to answer the question because I think we really want to hear what you think about whether it is worth it or not. And in order to answer that question, I want to put some economic factors to you. So in February of 2020, so this was pre-pandemic, the unemployment rate for young college graduates was actually higher than that of the general population. And fully 41 percent of college graduates were unemployed, meaning that they were working in jobs that didn't require a college degree, according to data from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. So to me, it's like little wonder that 39 percent of Americans with a college degree say that they don't think it was worth it, given, you know, these factors. And I think that there's also evidence that the economy is just not growing anymore for those jobs that require a college degree the way that it is for service jobs, for pink jobs, and of course, for coding, none of which require a college degree. So while it's great to debate what college should be philosophically for, who it should be for in some ideal world where everybody has sort of four years to futz around. At the end of the day, for, for young people trying to find their way in this world, isn't it for many of them a waste of time and a very expensive waste of time at that? Let's start with Michael and then go to Jen. It doesn't have to be an expensive waste of time. And I don't think learning is a waste of time. I think the idea that only rich people should be able to uh, uh, experience the the benefits of uh, learning, whether that's about uh, math and science or whether it's about literature and philosophy. I think that's a huge mistake. The fact that, uh, that uh, in, in fact, the premium, wage premium for college-educated people is, is only grown over time. And although um, it is true that uh, there's a significant percentage of people with a college degree uh, who um, aren't working in the jobs uh, they would desire to. When you compare that to people without, uh, with a high school-only degree, um, uh, you have a, uh, a, a different set of, of calculations. But I, I don't think the only reason you go to college is to futz around. Um, I think this is um, um, why many people find college not worth it. That is, if you go to college, so as to be able to learn how to be better prepared for the worst job you'll ever have, which is the first job you'll have after college. If that's the reason you go to college. It probably won't be worth it for you. Even if you have a lot of great parties and then you get a nice internship, I don't think it's, it's, it's worth the investment of that period of your life to uh, uh, what, what would be worth it if you go to college and get out of college the kinds of things 
that would allow you for the rest of your life to draw on the education that you've started to experience, that you've acquired the habits of mind and, and spirit that you continue to learn. And th that doesn't have to be that expensive. Um, and, um, but in the United States, um, uh, there is uh, a premium placed on, on uh, a fancy schools with fancy things that, that do attract people with money um, and sometimes attract people uh, who will try to get into those places through debt and, 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 and that, that is a sad occurrence. But I, I, I think college is worth it if you don't think of college as a finishing school or a trade school. Jen? Okay, well, I mean, I'm glad that we agree that you should absolutely not think of a university, a college as a trade school. I do think maybe we disagree in that I think there are way too many people in college who don't belong there. And um, they don't belong there either because they actually are, are not equipped to succeed uh, for a variety of reasons, usually for a lack of a decent education uh, prior to college. And um, also because they don't know why they're there um, and, and they don't really have the resources for figuring out why they're there. And I think that if universities did a better job <laughs> of, um, you know, making that distinction salient to parents and to prospective students about, you know, the difference between the liberal arts and the servile arts, the difference between higher learning and just acquiring a trade, I think that we would all be better off because I think it would help people discern better whether or not they need to go to college. However, having said that, I do think it's complicated. You know, I'm from a working class background. My father drove a forklift uh, for most of his adult life in a paper mill. And um, so he does not have a college education. And when, uh, when the Rust Belt <laughs> began to be evacuated of manufacturing jobs, uh, you know, my, my hometown has been featured in the New York Times uh, for being one of these you know, Rust Belt, American, Canary in the Coal Mine sort of places. Um, when all the manufacturing jobs left, people like my dad were stuck really without any opportunities and without really any sense of what to do. And um, when you lose your livelihood at 50, there's no time for you really to go back to school or learn to code or whatever. I mean, um, and so I do recognize that um, it was incredibly difficult for my father without any kind of college degree uh, to find anything like a decent job after that. Um, and, and that has been devastating for him uh, and has prevented him from being able to retire and, and all sorts of other things. And so I think, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not, it's not just the responsibility of the universities it's not just that the universities, I guess, maybe have overvalued a university degree. I mean, I think a lot of employers have also overvalued it. I mean, there's no reason why a lot of good jobs should require a BA, and yet they do. Jen, can I just push, I just want to make sure I'm understanding. Do you think your father is, an, if your father had gone to college, he would be better off? Is he an example of why people should be going? Or is he an example of an economy that requires a college degree and doesn't let anybody else succeed? I just want to understand the argument you're making. I mean, it's neither of those two extremes. I think I'm trying to say something more in the middle uh -huh. where <laughs> I, I, I just, you know, I, it's hard for me to say whether or not my dad, I'm, 
my I mean, I think in some sense, yeah, my dad would have been better off if he had gone to college. Um, although I understand why he didn't. Um, but it's kind of like, it's neither here nor there in terms of, you know, I mean, my dad's a boomer. Things are very different now uh, than they were when he was 18 and, and graduating from high school. It's, it's a totally different reality now. And, uh, but I do think it would be better if more employers could recognize uh, that my father would make a, a perfectly fine employee despite the fact that he lacks a BA. So we probably, maybe this is a place where we have some disagreement um, that, uh, not about your father, <laughs> uh, but, but um, that I, I actually think incentivizing uh, college education in some ways by uh, using it as a way of, um, uh, as a hiring filter or criterion is, is, uh, is not a bad thing. I don't think, uh, it, I haven't heard anybody make the argument that the American workforce is overeducated. Um, I have people, heard people like the argument that, oh, my niece Joanne graduated from the fancy liberal arts school and she's a barista, so college isn't worth it. I mean, this is the kind of thing that sells even uh, Newsweek issues. <laughs> um, but, but it is just, it's, but you really want to argue that the American electorate is overeducated, that the American working class is overeducated? This is the same argument that was made about high school 70 years ago. Why do we need these people to go to high school? He's going to drive a damn forklift. Who cares if he walked? My father made coats. You know, my father made coats. He made fur coats, which was not a good thing to be doing at a certain point when, you know, uh, but was he should, would have, if you, I think if you think education is good, you think it's good for people to have more of it. Now, there's a trade-off, obviously, if you're going to ask people to pay too much, it's going to take them away from other things that are also important. There are trade-offs. But I think... Finding ways to make university education more meaningful to more people is a better road than to make universities smaller so they can be elite places for people who are going to be devoting their lives to a life of study um, rather than a life that includes some study. So uh, I guess from my perspective here, you know, if we're talking about kind of our, our own educations, you know, I went to Duke for college. I was an economics major. And one of the very first things they teach you in any econ 101 your, your, your freshman year is the concept of opportunity cost. And opportunity cost, of course, is what you better could have done with that time, but for what you are currently doing here. You know, I went, I went to law school as well, so I spent seven years in higher education. That is a monumental okay. opportunity cost. It's a monumental financial cost, too. But for a lot of people, you know, especially those who I, I guess, um, if I'm just being candid, are probably come from less privileged backgrounds, if I can borrow kind of one of the left's favorite words here. Um, that's, a, that's a real, real, real issue for a lot of people. Those are seven years where you can kind of be maturing in life, where you can kind of bettering, honing in your, your skill sets and kind of a, in, a, in a trade. Um, so I guess, Michael, if I, can, if I can just push back a little bit here, I mean, I, under, I, I, I appreciate this notion that we should value education. I mean, my great-grandmother, who I unfortunately never met, was, I think, one of the first women to ever graduate from Washington University in St. Louis back in, like, the 1920s or 30s. So my family has always valued higher education. But the question isn't so much um, whether we as a society should value it. It is whether it is actually conducing to tangible, on-the-ground life outcomes that better orient the economy and the common good of the society. So I, I guess I would just be curious. Um, we'll start with you, Michael. Like, how can we actually then better channel, like the nuts and bolts of what is happening on the university campus to, to, to achieve that? Well, I, I think um, 
the, just on the first point about opportunity costs, I mean, just look at what you're, you know, if you have friends who didn't go to college, what they did for those years. And, and you know, and, and, and see, is, there are things you could do between the age of 18 and 22. You can do other things um, and go to college. And, and what would people do? What do most people do um, uh, if um, they're not pursuing education at, at that point in their lives? I think it's a, it's a, it's a reasonable uh, question. But to the question of, of how can we, I mean, I don't think that for me, and I think perhaps Jennifer and I agree about this, is that the, the point is not just to make college more conducive to economic benefits for people. I mean, we're not trying to, I'm not trying to retool the university sector so it's more in sync with the needs of capitalism. Uh, no, I mean, it's, I, I, you know, it just, first of all, we're not very good at that at the university. We don't actually anticipate the needs of journalism, let alone capitalism, or the needs of technology. We, we're not very good at that. that you know, we, but what we can do is, is, is give students exposure to some of the greatest things that have been written, thought, um, music that's been played, uh, science that's been practiced, so that they understand how they may reorient their lives to, to the common good in some respects, to uh, a meaning in their own personal lives in other respects, so they can understand how to work with other people in contexts other than familial or neighborhood ways, both of which are important, but in, in many college campuses and big universities, people are have the opportunity to work with people they otherwise wouldn't have worked with. And finding out how to make that more part of a college experience so that, my, for my mind these days, is not so you find out what you're gonna do and find the truth. What I'm thinking more minimally these days is just, you might discover you're wrong. You might discover that you, you you should have discovered earlier that law school was a mistake. I mean, you discover earlier by talking to other kinds of people than you might have met otherwise. That uh, and so that that you have the wrong views. That you have may, you may explore other things than you thought you would explore. And a college or a university is an opportunity to think more broadly about subjects and people that you otherwise would have ignored. And if that can happen, I think it could be worth it. Whatever you wind up doing. And it doesn't have to be done as expensively as it's done today, for sure. Right. So I, I, I agree with that entirely in theory. I guess I can probably name five to seven colleges off the top of my head that are actually doing that. I mean, like there are not many Hillsdale colleges out there. University of Chicago, you know, shared alma mater, both me and Body, I think does a solid enough job. And of that. Jennifer but, spent time there, too. It's just a little mafia going yeah, on here. Well, you, you, should, you, you Chicago is doing better than others. I mean, the tuition obviously is through the roof. Um, uh, it's free if you have no money. Oh, don't what? forget that it's free if oh, you have no money. There, there's no such thing it's as a free lunch. It's very hard to get into the University of Chicago. It's and it's even harder if you're poor because, as Jennifer was saying, the pre-college education system in this country uh, uh, makes it very easy for places like University of Chicago and Wesleyan to admit people because they're really good, but they also happen to be really rich because that's the high school system produces yes, that uh, inequality. Right, but Michael, doesn't that a little bit undo the, the isn't that a counter argument to what you just argued? Like the kind of people you're gonna meet in college, are, especially in these like elite colleges are increasingly anyway, just the signs of the elite and a few like non-elites thrown in for good measure. Like it's, you're not I don't really- I that's true. I don't think that's true. You, at, at, at Wesleyan, 45% of the students are on financial aid and the average grant is over $40,000. Mm -hmm. At Swarthmore, a friend of Jennifer's just wrote a piece about his guilt about being at an elite institution. At Swarthmore, the, the average grant is over $50,000 a year and more than half of the class is on that. So it is true, you have a lot of super wealthy people, but name another place in America 
where you're going to see a person whose parents make gazillion dollars living in the same building as a, as a, as a guy who's, who was in foster care. Name another institution in the United States. I mean, look at your own newsroom. How many, how many non-college education people do you have there? How many people who are in foster care? I mean, it's, 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 we're not doing, it's not, it's not perfect. We should do a lot better, but there's no, where else is that going to happen in a highly segregated environment? Jen, do you want to respond to that? Uh, well, there's like a lot going on now, but I mean, I would just say, look, there's a real psychic toll, uh, for kids on the lower end of the economic ladder being in a room with like Bill Gates kid. Um, and like, I mean, that's really real. We don't need to get into that, but it's not, it's not an unproblematic thing. And the psychological toll, the burden is really on <laughs> uh, the poor kids in those situations who feel like all they, uh, what can I do to fit in with these people and make these people accept me? And usually it involves changing almost everything about you and really looking down on where you came from and the people you come from. And so I think it's, it's not obviously an awesome situation to throw those kids into, although of course it gives them all these opportunities. But like my friend Jen Morton wrote a, a whole book on this about about the the costs of this for first generation students, and and that's really real. And I, but I also just want to say, um, you know, I, like again, I just I don't think that we need to be throwing everyone into the mold of higher education. And I mean, I, I was from like age four, a bookworm and just like a really weird bookish kid that like my dad didn't understand at all. He was just like, why are you always in a book? Like, why can't you live real life? And I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> this is where I like to be. And so like, the thing is, my dad didn't want to go to college. He didn't want to go. He, he's not. He's not a bookish person. He didn't enjoy high school. He was a radio DJ. <laughs> like he, and you know, and he also wanted to focus, he and my mom both, my mother finished college in two years by just basically working herself to death. Um, they wanted to have a family. They did not, I mean, that was like what was really important to them. They wanted to have a family. They wanted, my mom is from poverty. So she wanted to be able to start taking care of members of her family. They just, and, and I think it's fine. I think it's fine that not everybody is into philosophy and theology and, you know, economics. I, I think it's okay. Um, and the opportunity and, cost, sorry, sorry, but the opportunity cost of going to college in the first place cuts against the tangible life developments that you're, I think, adequately and, and accurately referring to, Jennifer. Yeah, and exactly. And for women, it means delaying childbirth, exactly. usually to a point where your fertility is very strained. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity costs and, well, I mean, that's real for some women. I don't, I don't think we should poo poo that. Uh, so, so you would rather incentivize just more men to go and fewer women. I mean, I'm just not sure I'm getting the point. I mean, no one's saying we should force people to go to college, but are you, I guess in college, of course, most people in college don't study philosophy and theology. People are so, so I'm just not sure how you sort. I mean, I'm, I'm suggesting the more the merrier and find ways to make college more meaningful to more people. And I guess you're suggesting um, 
no, that that weren't that it'd be good if less people went. No, I yes, think absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, nothing about that follows about a kind of. I mean, absolutely nothing I've said it, does it follow that we should be disincentivizing women to study higher education. But how do you sort? You mentioned fertility problems that come from delaying until 22 childbirth. So, well, men men have opportunity costs as far as uh, spending four years in the academy when they could be like learning a tangible trade and being a bread you know breadwinner for the household too. It cuts both ways, right? Yeah. I mean, people have different opportunity costs, and it depends on Absolutely. everything from gender to your socioeconomic status to like what your obligations are. I mean, and it was I, like that for most of American history, right? I mean, most people weren't incentivized to go to college. So, I mean, like, so when I got to college before you guys were born, probably, <laughs> uh, when I got to college, uh, uh, I had never met anyone who had gone to a private school who hadn't been kicked out of public school. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't know any adults who had gone to college. Um, and, and so it was weird. It was weird. So at, at Wesleyan, 15 years before I was there, two Jews a year. So I guess, how do you sort? You know, we can go, you, well, we, we've done this before. We had a situation where people learned a good trade. People learned how to, you know, people, yeah. we did this before. Let's give Jennifer a chance to respond real quick. And then we're going to we're way overdue for a commercial break. So then let's give Jennifer a response. Then we're going to go to break. I, I don't, I don't have like a, a, like a public policy position in hand here. Um, and I'm a philosopher. I'm, I'm not good at that sort of thing anyway, but I don't think that everyone needs to be incentivized to go to college. I don't think, I, I mean, I don't think that's working in practice for one thing, but for another thing, I just don't think everyone is well suited to it. And but whether or not you're well suited to it isn't necessarily a reflection of your socioeconomic side. Like I'm, I'm just from hillbillies. <laughs> so, and the fact that I took the path that I did was very surprising to everyone and not very many people were encouraging me to do that. So I think it was just something that was coming from inside of me. And, um, and at any rate, I didn't have a, a perfect path to where I am now, but I am where I am now. And I'm very grateful for that. But I think, you know, it's a public policy question, like how we sort this stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think that we need to, I mean, what, what I would favor isn't trying to fit everybody into the same mold, but rather just trying to create a more just and fair society in which it's not the case that everybody has to have a university degree. Um, for those who want to pursue that, either by disposition or or whatever, um, they should be encouraged to do that. And I think if we had, I mean, look, part of this is 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 really front ended. I mean, part of a lot of this is what's going on at the high school level, right? Where we have very extreme inequality in this country, for one thing, you know, but for another thing, really you're you're just trained from early on to think of your high school education as a means to an end right and 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 we have problems there too yeah. so i you know i don't want to pick i don't want to i don't want to blame everything on the universities i love the universities in some sense they saved my life and i owe my life to them i'm just trying to think about what the problems are in an honest way and well, talk about them in an honest way 
Well, talking about things in an honest way is definitely what we do here on Newsweek's The Debate Podcast. But on that note, we are desperately long overdue for a commercial break. So we'll be right back on the other side. You're listening to Michael Roth and Jennifer Frey. We're debating whether college is worth it. On the other side, we'll come back with paragraph readers' questions from themselves. We'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. This is The Debate, a podcast brought to you by Newsweek. So this week, we are so excited to be partnering with Paragraph, a website that hosts debates just like we do. We love them. And we actually were really happy to be able to pose some questions for our panelists to Paragraph readers. And they submitted their questions. And we're going to play them for our guests. And um, we're going to get to hear our guests respond to them. So the first question comes from Andrew Name. Many people uh, view college as kind of a high-minded intellectual pursuit um, that's going to go ahead and make people a better, more well-rounded person. Um, And that may be the case for many of the more prestigious universities in the U.S. Um, But from my perspective as a grad of a D3 state school, uh, my goal and the goal of pretty much all of my classmates um, was really more just about getting that degree so that we could go get a job. And so I guess the, the root of my question then becomes, where does the responsibility lie between the students and the colleges uh, for ensuring that those students are aware of the expected returns that they get on their degrees? So a great question. Where does that responsibility lie for the what he calls the expected return on the degree? Um, aren't most people like Andrew just looking for a degree so they can get a job, so they can get their lives started? Is college really supplying that? Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on any of those questions. Jen, let's start with you. I mean, of course, I really hesitate to think of a liberal arts education as a means to a pragmatic end that way. Um, I think that if you're thinking of that way, you know, a liberal arts education really isn't something that you should be pursuing. Um, that if you just want credentials to get a job, um, which is completely fine, <laughs> is completely fine and noble, there's nothing wrong with it, um, but that you should be looking at learning a trade. And, and I, I would prefer that we go back to making a pretty sharp distinction there. Maybe we could do that within the umbrella, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, maybe there could be a difference in the kind of degree or something. I mean, we've, we've gotten very far from uh, the distinction between the liberal and the servile arts. And that, of course, goes at many liberal arts colleges. Um, because I think once you uh, pragmatize um, a university degree, it becomes very difficult to make the argument, you know, that, that, it's, that it's worth it. Because there's no reason why simple job training should take four years and this amount of money and involve all the things that go into a university education. Michael? So I, uh, as someone who's tried to uh, pragmatize, Jennifer's phrase, uh, the liberal uh, learning, um, I have a somewhat different perspective on this, I guess. Uh, I I do think that liberal education in the United States uh, since the founding of the country has had a pragmatist bent. That is, it wasn't uh, only aimed at transcendence or at the 
uh, non-servile uh, activities. It was aimed at empowering people to do work they'd find meaningful and to contribute to the society around them. And I am aware uh, that a lot of people take uh, university education uh, as a means to uh, internships and then to jobs and and that, um, but I, I, I don't think that what follows from that is that we should just get rid of all the, the kind of ancillary things and let them focus on um, that it's not going to be a trade. It's going to be investment banking or some consulting or, or other, uh, or things in technology. Um, uh, I, I think instead what we should do is try our best to offer classes to these students that would broaden their perspective on themselves and their world. And so that they would be, um, uh, uh, better able to participate in a public culture, better able to draw meaning from, um, the world around them and be better equipped to keep learning after they leave college. College, in my view, is is uh, not just what your experience is while you're there, but it's what you are able to use beyond the university. So, um, the book I wrote is that title. Um, so that you may actually, after the university, uh, return to some of the things you learned in a literature course or in an economics course. Uh, and, and, um, and it could, in and, and ways that you didn't recognize uh, would be uh, useful to you at the time uh, that you were studying. So I think as someone who teaches big classes with most of my students are not majoring in my subject area, and I don't think any of them should become professors, uh, um, but I do believe that they think differently about themselves and the world because of the texts and works of art that they get to think about. So that actually ties in very nicely with the next question, which is also a little bit about this question of pragmatism that keeps coming up. So we have a question from Aaron Wiesel. I'm currently a GA in my university's Office of Residence Life, and my time in residence life has, has given me many occasions to ponder the question, is college worth it? And so my question is this, is the idea of vocation a, a tenable starting jumping off point um, from which to make an argument against um, and deconstruct this sort of toxic mentality that our that our meritocracy has created. Uh, thanks again so much for the piece. It's helped me think even deeper and more critically about my own work and my life outside of work. Cheers. So Jen, Aaron's question reminded me of a point you made at the paragraph debate where you talked about, and you brought this up also just now, you know, how much of this toxic meritocratic thinking goes into everything starting with high school and then people bring that into college with them. So can you talk a little bit about that, you know, respond to Aaron's point like, um, how, how do we get out of that mentality? Um, you know, I think a lot of it comes from the genuine pressures um, in the workforce, even for the elites, even among the elites who make it. You know, there was this amazing Caitlin Flanagan piece in The Atlantic about the toxic culture in like New York's prep schools. And, um, you know, it's so interesting to think about how we've never, you know, our society is so unequal, but that those economic pressures are, you know, they're extreme at the tops as well, even among the elites, even among kids who are going to be fine no matter what. Um, so, yeah, could you, could, you, could you respond to that? I mean, I... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this has kind of been my whole life, you know, um, <clears throat> like, I, I, for a variety of reasons that are just very weird, I really went to college with a love for learning. Um, and for me, like, 
philosophy in particular, but also theology, like literally just kind of saved me from all kinds of bad stuff. But what I found, especially as I, I mean, I found it in my undergrad, but as I matriculated into an elite PhD program in the humanities, um, what I found is just <laughs> that beca because of my background, because of my class background in particular, like, I really could not relate to my peers on some deep level. And, you know, I find myself in these situations where people who literally have butlers and servants are lecturing me about unions. And I'm just like, <laughs> are, are you joking? Um, and, and I think there is this kind of, there is this kind of, a psychic toll, right? I mean, the meritocracy is both a system that we're all thrown into, but it's a self-conception. And as a self-conception, it's very dark. And the thing that you have to fight is this idea that because I'm in an elite program, I'm better than the people that I went to high school with. Like, I'm clearly better by all of these objective measures. I'm not, right? And when one of the things that happens to you when you go to like an elite institution is that, especially if you're like white working class, is that, you know, you're told that you're like all of this is bad and terrible and you should be ashamed of it and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, it's more complicated than that. You know, it, it's way more complicated than that. And actually, like, you have no idea what you're talking about. And so I think this idea of a vocation that this uh, respondent is bringing up is hitting at quite, kind of more the picture that I want, where I, I felt a vocation. I felt a calling. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to do with it. I got lucky in a thousand ways. But there are plenty of people who don't feel a vocation to higher learning, and that's fine. And it doesn't make me better than them that I had it, right? Because we all have our place in society. And, and at the end of the day, all that really matters is whether or not we're a good person. Um, but I think, I think we do need to pay attention to these kinds of meritocratic pressures. Because the truth is, like... The meritocracy is a false self-image. <laughs> it's not <sister>. actually. <laughs> it's not actually all that meritocratic. Yeah. Um, you know, my time teaching at the University of Chicago, the vast majority of the kids I taught went to very, very, very fancy private schools. Like, that's the reality. And of course, there are kids there who didn't go through that, but they are the very clear minority, and it's difficult for them. Michael. So um, I, I think Jennifer has written that uh, universities, more than any other institution, shape our conception of what constitutes worthwhile knowledge. I think you wrote that in the point, uh, an, an essay that in a magazine called The Point, which is really wonderful uh, essay and a, a great uh, a great issue of that magazine. Um, and I, I think that's really true that that for the people who are there, and I, I agree with Jennifer, not everybody has to go to college. I. I just err on the side of trying to get more people to try it if they don't acquire debt along the way. And I know that's really hard. And, and there are psychic costs that Jennifer has alluded to, which I, I, I know are real. But I think what happens to many people in a college environment, in a university environment, is they begin to ask themselves what constitutes worthwhile knowledge and what, consti what constitutes 
worthwhile practices, ways of living. That's that's a luxury. That's a luxury if you're in college and you work. You know, you may also be working jobs. You know, uh, I worked in a kitchen when I was in college. I learned a lot uh, working in a, in a kitchen. Um, but I I was um, thrown back on this um, uh, reflection process of trying to understand how I, how I might conform to certain things and how I might not conform to certain things. And in the United States, which is not just a meritocracy, it's a society with enormous pressure to conf- make people conform uh, in a variety of ways. An institution like a university that asks us to consider what's worthwhile, what's worthwhile, and maybe what I thought was worthwhile is wrong because Jennifer thinks something else and 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 Vacha thinks something else and Josh something else. And and that opportunity to me is just golden. And and and, and it's and it's gets harder when you get older, it's just harder to find those opportunities because of the pressures on people to to um, take care of themselves, their families, and et cetera. So so I think a vocation of questioning and finding ways to continue learning is what should happen and often does happen in, in colleges and universities. All right, so next let's hear from Jessica Wilson. And I'm the Louise Cowan Scholar at the University of Dallas. My question is really directed at Michael Roth, who rebuts Jen Frey's claim that universal truth is a necessary foundation for education. What then is university teaching? Why pay so much for an education that is impermanent and could be irrelevant in less time than it takes to pay off your debt? Well, Michael, yeah, the, floor, is- the floor is yours. That's a very University of Dallas question, I feel compelled to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is something Jennifer and I do just have a disagreement about, but it, it, I didn't read. I didn't certainly, um, I think it was where refute or rebut, I forget again. Anyway, I certainly didn't refute. We have a difference of opinion about this where um, I, I do think it's worthwhile to learn things that will turn out to be wrong later on because that's the way life is. And uh, Jen, Jennifer writes about the pearl of great price, which has a different status actually and um, than anything that I've experienced or want to be part of. So I, I do think that um, learning physics uh, is not less worthwhile because the things you're learning today will probably be not things they're learning in 20 years. The uh, same is true with biology and the same is true in, um, in the humanities. So I don't think um, a conception of knowledge is, uh, is useful uh, that sees knowledge as somehow ending with a capital K or a big T truth. Um, in that sense, I am one of those pragmatizers um, or a pragmatist <laughs> who thinks that uh, knowledge is fallible and at which it is worth learning things that uh, will lead to learning other things and that the, the usefulness of what you're learning will turn out to be situational, not universal. If we're not working for truth, then then what are we working for? And the, the universal in the sense of universality and my claims about universal truth are just, you know, it, just the idea that if it's knowledge, it's shareable. So it relates to the third prong of your platform. And uh, if it's if it's shareable, it, it has to be public. You know, truth isn't private. You don't have your truth and I don't have my truth. It's absolutely true. And, and the sciences are the best case of this. You can run a fabulous meta induction on the sciences and pretty much guarantee that what scientists are telling you now is not what they're going to be telling you 100 years from now. 
Um, and that's fine, but that just means that we've come to more truth, right? I mean, the point is that in saying it now, they take it to be true, right? Yeah, and and so if we're not if we're not searching for truth as a common good, I I'm with Jessica. I don't know what learning is anymore. Well, um, it has to be. It, it, I mean, and and I think that's just sort of like a basic Wittgensteinian point. There needn't be anything religious about it. Well, yeah, it's, literally, I, I think, it's literally the motto of Harvard University, Veritas, truth, is it not? I mean, it's kind of like the original foundation of higher education in, in these former United States back when they were colonies in, in, in the 17th century. Yeah, the truth is, is a way of telling ourselves that what we agree upon now is really important. And if that's all you mean by truth is that it's publicly shareable and we agree upon it, it's a perfectly valid Wittgensteinian point, as you say, but, you know, it, it's just a way of patting yourself on the back to say what we agree upon now. Oh, it's, let's call that truth. It's just a matter of justifying. Truth is a justification of opinion, and that's what we get. Now, I, I don't think Jennifer, and I think we disagree about this, right? I mean, Jennifer, but you, you have a, as you said, your, your view of the university comes out of the Catholic tradition. And, and that's a different view than the one I have. And, um, and, and I think that it doesn't keep each of us from actually, say, practicing what's, I don't know, physics the same way. Um, uh, but um, I think you can get along without telling yourself that what you're sharing now and we're working with is, is more true than what they shared before. Um, I, I actually like to tell the students that um, many of the things that they should take most seriously are things that people believed at other times because uh, they, they may have something useful to say from, from at, at other times. Um, but I, I just don't think that um, the goal of Big T Truth um, uh, is, is uh, necessary to do little science or little history or, or read Wittgenstein. Okay, so let's do one final paragraph reader question here. So I apologize in advance if I mispronounce your last name, Mary, but we're going to hear now from Mary Biediger. Mary? I am an upper school and science teacher in Austin, Texas at a classical charter school. And my question is primarily for Jen Frey. Um, and it is, how does Jen Frey reconcile her belief that, quote unquote, college is for the pursuit of universal truth, uh, end quote, with the pressure to learn something useful, such as a skill that prepares one for success in a high paying job? Can't we have both? Yeah. So, I mean, the short answer is... Of course, we can have both. Um, so just philosophically, I'm committed to the idea that, you know, whatever is, is true, right? Whatever is, whatever is true is, is something that's uh, good, good in itself. Like, like truth is an end that is good in itself. We don't have to justify it because it helps us get something else. But that which is good in itself is always also useful. Now, it doesn't work the other way. So what is merely useful isn't always good in itself. Um, and so, of course, I think it can be both. Um, the trouble is that we've gone for the merely useful and we've completely neglected the idea that the, the pursuit of truth as a common end for its own sake is good in itself, is worthy, right? Is, is worthy of our, of our highest aspirations, frankly. Um, and, and I think that just to plug a book that I'm very fond of, my friend Zena Hitz wrote a book, Lost in Thought, in which she gives many beautiful real life cases of people who have devoted their life to learning for its own sake and have been incredibly 
practical in their ends, especially in their search for justice. And so I don't think that they are incompatible, but I think we need to get back to basics and we need to be able to say again without apology that truth is a good in itself that we ought to be pursuing in higher education. And uh, Michael, it sounds like you obviously don't prescribe to the view that higher ed be oriented towards either truth or economically pragmatic outcomes. Well, so how would you respond? I, I think uh, I, I use the word inquiry instead of truth, and I'm I'm, um, I'm not sure if there's um, a meaningful difference. I think it just it just maybe I, I, I to me the word as a pursuit of inquiry for its own sake is um, uh, or let's say painting or piano playing for its own sake. It just seems like a to get back to where we started, it's more situational. I will tell the parents tomorrow at Wesleyan University who drop off their first year students when I uh, when they they're going to be concerned about the career center. They're going to be concerned about jobs, as, as of course they should be, um, and and the and the, the and especially those students who uh, are coming from low income families. Um, I, I I always say to them, listen, you all want this education to be useful in some way, right? You all want. Most of the people in this room will, will have kids who have to go to work after they graduate. That's we want them to be able to pursue work with purpose and and energy and thoughtfulness. Um, but none of you, I say to them, and I hold my breath hoping it's true, none of you have your highest aspiration for your children is that they be rich. I, I've never met a person say my highest aspiration for my kids is they make more money than everyone else. They may want their kid to make a lot of money, then that's not their highest aspiration. So when you when they start thinking about their highest aspiration, it has to do with with uh, a life of meaning. It has to do with happiness. It has to do with being of service to others, uh, cultivating a feeling of gratitude. All these kinds of things that in a good university and good classes, even in a bad university, in good classes, good teachers bring that out to students in ways they model that as teachers, and that is I think can be inspiring to students in ways that may not be evident till long after graduation. So we have to take another quick break. Um, we will be right back. Our guests are Jennifer Frey and Michael Roth, and we are partnering with Paragraph again for this episode. Stay tuned. This is Newsweek's The Debate. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to The Debate, a Newsweek podcast. Our guests this week are Jen Frey and Michael Roth, and we're talking about whether college is worth it, but also what college is for. So um, I have just one more question for you both. I think that what a lot of what you're describing as sort of the good that one gets from a college education are obviously like very important things, like a life of meaning, meeting people that you disagree with, a life of service. But honestly, I get a lot of those things from synagogue. I think a lot of people get a lot of those things from community, from church. And I don't know a lot of people anymore who are getting, you know, debate at college in the direction that college is going. What I'm actually seeing is is sort of a class chasm that's opened up in America that's very much based on 
whether or not you have a college degree. And I think paradoxically, when fewer people were going to college, there was less income inequality in America. At least you didn't see the staggering inequality that we're seeing today. So I guess what my question is, is like, you're describing sort of something that in an ideal society, I would very much subscribe to. Yeah, four years of encountering people you disagree with, learning what meaning is, service, reading great books. But in our society right now, it seems to me to be very much fueling inequality, very much fueling um, this great chasm in America that we don't like to talk about around class. So I would just love to hear how you both um, respond to that. Let's start with you, Michael. Well, I'm I'm sad to say that um, I, I think you're you're spot on that um, colleges and universities can be uh, engines of of uh, social mobility um, for people who discover things uh, at a college or university that allow them to change the course of their lives. Um, and instead, for many people, colleges and universities are either uh, out of reach because of their preparation in, in high schools that are underserved, um, or college and universities are places where a very few people get to join an elite, giving those elite people some 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 relief from guilt, but doing very little to to deal with inequality. I mean, the reasons for uh, the greater inequality over the last several years, though, I think it has less to do with college than it has to do with tax policy and, um, and other forms of public policy that have dramatically rewarded the wealthy um, uh, at, at the expense of the very wealthy at the expense of everyone else. So I, I, I don't think the solution uh, is to um, abandon the hope of higher education playing a role of, um, uh, of giving students a sense of uh, experience across social class or abandoning the notion that college and universities should be places where people, regardless of their ability to pay, can actually experience uh, learning in such a way as to change the, not only their economic trajectory, but their spiritual, their moral, and their, and their, their social trajectory. Uh, I think what we should do is to, is to, is to, is to make colleges and universities assume the public mission that um, uh, is the reason we give them tax breaks, is the reason we allow uh, gifts from wealthy people, to make the colleges and universities do a better job of providing opportunity to those people who um, uh, are starved of opportunities early on. And I think for elite schools like the one I work at and, and, and the even wealthier schools, that doesn't just mean uh, adding uh, like another 50 people or something like that. It, it should mean creating other institutions that educate more people mm -hmm. in ways that broaden their horizons and deepen their capacity to learn. Mm -hmm. That's what ha should happen at college. Broaden your horizons and deepen your capacity to learn. And college, higher education should do that more capaciously. I don't think we should give up on it and, and turn to... Um, community groups or uh, re religious organizations. Jen? Well, I don't think we can or should give up on the university. I'm a university professor, so it would be very bad for me. <laughs> if the university totally failed, it would be bad for my children. But um, And I'm married to a university professor, too, so it doubles the problem. But, um, but I do think that it would be very good 
for university professors. Well, so I guess I think two things. One is I think that universities need to get back to brass tacks and to reconsider their role in fostering the intellectual life, which of course would include open inquiry. And I think universities are not doing a very good job about this right now. Um, and so that's a problem. It's one of the many problems. Um, but I also think that it's important for those of us who are privileged to live the intellectual life to share it and to share it in ways that, you know, are easy for people. So like I have a podcast, it's a literature, philosophy and theology podcast. That's one way. But I also know professors who start free reading groups in their local library. I know uh, writers, intellectuals, who work with vets about how to write, how to put their feelings down onto paper. I mean, all of this I think is very important. Unfortunately, the way that universities are structured, everything works against you having the free time to do this. And of course you also don't get any credit for doing any of it. So I think that universities need to do more self-reflection and thinking about what their responsibility is to their communities, not just for allowing more people to pay tuition for the universities, but to really sharing, you know, the intellectual life with others in a way that um, doesn't demand the sorts of opportunity costs from them that Josh was bringing up. Just one final question for the two of you. This has been really an amazing discussion. And we've, we've really kind of teased out, I think, some nice areas of disagreement about kind of um, lofty substantive orientation of the university and how it might be reformed and mission statements and what duties and obligations are owed and whatnot. I have a slightly different question here. I wonder to what extent the, uh, let's just say for sake of argument, that the very fact that we're having this debate means that the status of the university has been somewhat degraded over a baseline of 40, 50 years ago or so. I wonder to what extent that is a result not necessarily solely of kind of intrinsic educational mission statement-esque functions, but is it's kind of collateral damage of broader sociological trends. And to get, put some kind of meat in the bone there, you know, if I can kind of go full kind of crotchety social conservative here, I feel like the university has been like direct collateral damage of the metastasis of the sexual revolution and hookup culture here. And I'm thinking of books like I Am Charlotte Simmons, written in 2004, a novel that was kind of uh, largely based on my alma mater, Duke University. And, you know, I think back to my own college days, right? And the, the currency that was traded on campus was so often not so much about kind of grades and academic performance and trying to prepare kind of better future statesmen, citizens, uh, productive engineers, or whatever. It was about braggadocio, about sexual conquests, right, uh, in, in the fraternity setting here. So, so I wonder to what extent all this money and this opportunity cost discussion is actually downstream of the fact that broader social trends have made the on-campus physical university something that was never intended to be in the first instance. It's a complicated question, but um, would uh, love to hear your thoughts on it. So Jennifer, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure what it exactly. I'm not. I'm not sure. I totally understand what you're saying, but I'll take a stab, and you can tell me if I if I haven't gotten it at all. I mean, look, I I am literally on record <laughs> many times as being against the hookup culture. I give multiple lectures on chastity as a virtue. So, like, I'm very old fashioned in more ways than one. Um, and and. You know, one thing that um, happens to me on campus is I get a lot of refugees from student life, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, hey, so my freshman orientation was all about 
uh, you know, sexual liberation and, and, and all this stuff. And, and it's really freaking me out. And, um, and so I think, you know, it's a, it's a big question why freshman mandatory freshman orientation stuff should be about sexual liberation as just an assumed sort of thing. Um, because, you know, that's an open question. People obviously disagree about it. But I don't know that we can, in any sense, reduce the larger problems on campus. I mean, look, certainly our campuses are rife with sexual assault uh, problems. I mean, and it's particularly bad in the, in the Greek cultures, but it's not limited to that. I've worked with young women in the Greek cultures on this problem, like it's very real. I think that universities have a responsibility to address it and not just in a bureaucratic way, because it's not a bureaucratic problem. At the end of the day, it's a spiritual problem about a lack of virtue. Um, but the trouble is that I think, you know, somebody who gives lectures on chastity is considered a pretty dangerous person. <laughs> um, you know, I've been told to take that stuff off my CV. Uh, as, as a graduate student trying to get a job. I didn't do it because I'm me. But, you know, I mean, I think that's a part of it. But my sense is that's probably like a really small part of it, that a lot of what's going on is is much, much bigger than that. It might be one manifestation of, of a kind of, I don't know, worldview that has taken over under the stance of liberal neutrality. I, I don't really know. I, I mean, I'd have to think about it a lot more. Sorry, I'm sort of fumbling around. Uh, but, I, but I don't think that the problems can be reduced to that. I guess maybe okay. that's my response. No, definitely not. I, I, I guess I'm just kind of wondering whether <clears throat> there are additional extrinsic problems outside of the loss of the, fo of the focus of the core university mission statement that have degraded the view of the university. So I, I guess, Michael, and we'll give you the last word, if I can kind of put a, like a little, try, or at least try to put a little more teeth on where I'm going with this. If you were to tell the uh, you know, moderately wealthy parent of, of an 18-year-old um, who's getting ready to put down a lot of money to send... Um, you know, uh, their son or daughter to some uh, prestigious school um, is the fact that at least in, in kind of a lot of social milieus, the university has taken on this kind of conception of just getting drunk beyond belief, getting high and having lots of casual carefree sex. Has that just has has that had an effect on degrading the status of the university for these parents of prospective college kids? Probably even worse than anything that has happened intrinsic on the university itself. I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, you know, the parents, uh, for the most part, uh, are the ones who initiated those trends. So <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. Um, you know, I, when I started, 50, uh, I've been the university president for twenty years or more, and so when I started, yeah, people would say, "Well, my God, Wesleyan, you have a naked dorm," and I would say, "Well, where else should you be naked if not the dorm?" Uh, and and now people are like, "Why? Why are the tunnels? We used to do." Used to go to have tri do trips, you know. Trips used to do acid in the tunnels. You you close the tunnels. I made the fraternities co-ed at Wesleyan. If you have a fraternity, that actually you can't have single sex. Greek organizations doesn't hasn't cured all the ills, but um, and 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 so I do think that you know what uh, uh, another uh, uh, young professor Chad Wellman has called the, the the other university. I mean, that kind of university that deals with the things that Jennifer is talking about and. Uh, about sexual culture and and all, you know residential life, the athletics, all kind. There is another side of the university um, that is really important for most students, maybe more than for the bookish people like Jennifer and myself. 
But uh, my, I think what we can do is to try to rope that into learning. I mean, I, I, I'm going to quote Jennifer again. She says something like, the cultivation of virtue is the process of shaping what one perceives and loves through free deliberation and choice. Shaping what, uh, uh, shaping what one perceives and loves. And universities, this is, Jennifer wrote that lovely uh, phrase, uh, what universities can do, and we should do, and people like me in positions of uh, some power should push in this direction to help shape a meaningful conversation about uh, what we perceive, what we love, what counts as knowledge, so that our students have a fighting chance not just to conform to the status quo of the culture at that moment. And I, and I, I mean, my sense is if you invite students on that journey as a teacher, not as a president, as a, as a teacher, you invite them on that journey and, you and you they, they go for it because learning is a beautiful thing and people find different ways of getting joy from it. Not, not because they're going to be philosophers or historians, but because they're human beings and something speaks to their soul when you ask them to learn in a way that's attuned to where they are. And I do believe that our job is to, is to figure out how to attune our teaching to where they are so we don't just leave them where they are. Well, on that note, uh, this was a fabulous discussion. Um, on behalf of Batya and myself, thank you, Michael and Jennifer, so much. Uh, we hope you thoroughly enjoyed your time here. Thank you. I did. Thank I'm you very, both very grateful. so much. That was really, really incredible. So Michael and Jennifer have left. Uh, Badia, I know this is an issue that certainly you're quite passionate about. Uh, I have plenty of my own thoughts, but that was a really, really, really engaging, thoughtful and generous exchange, I thought. What did you think? I found myself um, just due to, I think, the charisma and the generosity of our guests really considering their positions, even though I really disagree with them. So I was really, really, um, really honored to have had that conversation. Yeah, it was really great. I mean, uh, they were just, you know, uh, they were lively and engaging while having kind of a mutual respect for one another that I thought was palpable. There were a lot of kind of areas where that I would have kind of loved to drill down a little deeper than. I guess my, my number one bone to pick, I think, with Michael is this notion that a higher education should not be oriented towards something towards something substantive like truth. I, I can't even pretend to relate to that sentiment, but I know that it's a like an increasingly kind of postmodernist and uh, fairly ubiquitous sentiment, perhaps even among the, the kids these days, so to speak, if I can sound like a crotchety old man. But um, um. I think to me, the thing that I really wish he would have answered better was, um, how can you keep saying that people are coming to college to encounter different points of view and to really consider, you know, what makes truth and like, um, you know, how people c come to their conclusions and really question themselves when I, we know that our universities are churning out like only liberal students, basically, you oh, know? Yeah. So I, I, I still, I find myself still wondering his answer to that. Um, but otherwise, I really, really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, another great debate, Josh. Totally agree with you. I mean, if every if every university was Hillsdale College and we were having kind of highly engaged, substantive, kind of disputatious, uh, dialectical, even to use kind of the, the, the Greek term, uh, dialogues to pursue something overarching, I think that would be wonderful. Um, unfortunately, I'm not sure that that's what we're actually getting. But... Our opinion is not necessarily the ones that matter. It's you, the listener, whose opinions matter. So please tell us what your opinions are when you subscribe. Hopefully give us a five-star review. Leave your comments there wherever you find your podcast: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Art19, or elsewhere. Um, for now, though, this has been another excellent episode of Newsweek's The Debate, and we will see you next time. See you next time.